This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, I'm Jake Brennan, and I want to tell you about Disgraceland, the award winning music and true crime podcast that I host. Disgraceland tells the stories of musicians getting away with murder and behaving very badly. Fleetwood Mac, Nipsey Hussle, Cardi B, Ozzy Osbourne, Taylor Swift, Tupac, The Beatles, Amy Winehouse, Jay-Z, The Grateful Dead, and so many more. This is not the music history you've heard before. This is an uncensored, immersive look at the lives of musical icons as seen through the crimes they've committed or that have been perpetrated against them. Did Jerry Lee Lewis murder his fifth wife? What really happened to Sam Cooke in that seedy motel at 3 a.m.? And how did the Rolling Stones wind up sleeping with the First Lady? Wait, what? New episodes of Disgraceland drop every Tuesday with bonus episodes released on Mondays and Thursdays. So get in, buckle up, and join me in Disgraceland. Available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Rock and roll. I, I got very good at editing. Well, what you do, the trick, I'll t- I can tell you, Everybody remembers the intro of a song and they remember the first verse. The chorus, usually the, sec- the first chorus and the second chorus are the same, more or less. The second verse, so you could chop from the beginning of the first chorus to the beginning of the second chorus. And right there, that's a minute. So suddenly your song's two and a half minutes long. Hi. This is Lowell Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Budgie, co-founder of The Creatures, drummer with The Slits, and Susie and the Banshees. Welcome to Curious Creatures. Life after punk. You may think you know the territory, but we We drew drew the map. Uh, Nick, let's let's. Where, where do we go next? Where can we go next with you know this crazy London scene? Where where do we go next? Well, I can tell you about um, uh, the birthday party was very funny because there was no budget, very little budget. It was on four AD, and they were completely right. unknown. No one had ever heard of them any at all in England. So except me, except you, yeah. except you. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. We were all Oslo yes. in the Rock Garden. Yes, we, you, we knew, you, we knew. you. You too, you too. And the scientists. I remember the scientists coming around as well. Yeah, I remember the scientists. Remember yeah. the scientists? Yeah. He's still around, is he? What's his name? Um, 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 oh, fish, 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 fish. Salmon, Kim Salmon. Kim Salmon, that's Blimey. right. Yeah, he is around. Probably in Melbourne, I imagine. All, all with the same Terrellin shirts and stay-pressed trousers. It was That yeah. was the look, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Melbourne, they, it, yeah, they're stylish, you know, Italians. Ta- well, of Italians course, and of Greeks. Course, yeah, yeah. So, um, Mr. Cave and the birthday party, what happened there? This, this, this townhouse was quite an expensive studio. You know, it was, you know, Queen. Yeah, we, we remember tiptoeing in going, who's paying for this? Who's paying for this? Yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy. Uh, and then, um, but, but, you know, so the only way... I really wanted to do it at the townhouse because that's the only studio I knew how to work. So I said, oh, well, maybe if we come in at midnight, 
This was to Ivo, who, you know, Ivo of 4AD. Ivo Watts yep. Russell. Ivo yes. Watts Russell. And he said, actually, that would really suit the band. Now, I'd never met them, right? They, 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 came up, they were coming over from us, or I'd arrived from Australia. I had no idea what they looked like. All I knew was I had this very, this cassette recording of Release the Bats Live, which was just this carcophony. And I loved it. I loved it. And so I said, so the, the idea was, yeah, they're going to turn up at, you know, at midnight. And so I was setting up mics and doing all this. And I get a call from reception. And the, the receptionist's name was Penny. And, and she said, hey, Nick, um, can you come up to reception? Because I think it's one of your bands. They've arrived and they're scaring people. <laughs> and I went up there and they were all in suits. And they just look like vampires. They really look like vampires. And then, you know, doing vampires this song. and Undertakers. Yeah, Undertakers, yes. yeah. And it was, just, yeah, you know, the, yeah, the, right. the Robert Smith hair. Yeah. All of them. <laughs> and very, very pale looking. And God knows what drugs they're on. And, uh, and, and they just were just, had that Australian sense of humor, that constant taking the piss yeah. sarcasm thing. And... I think, again, because of not growing up in England, either the either it didn't get to me because I didn't understand it as that. Right. I just thought they were great. I thought they were really fun. Well, my, my dad was very witty. My dad was really witty. So, so Nick Cave and McHarvey and, and Roland's wit, I was, it, just, it just felt familiar to me. Because Nick comes from a very a literary background as well, right? There's, there's a lot of uh, books in in his growing yes. up as well. Yeah. So it was, you know, so yeah, we started at midnight, you know, doing the song "Release the Bat," starting yeah. at midnight, and they looked like vampires. It was just it all made sense, and it just happened. And the sun and came up, two, and, and yeah. you pulled the curtains yeah. back, and the smoke came. Well, I think they left before the sun came up. I think they would have melted every time wandering out into the daylight of Camden Town. Yes. <laughs> oh my God! Seven seven a.m. and everybody's driving to work and all looking fresh and scrubbed, yeah. and all you're thinking is, "I want to go to home yeah, and go to, to sleep." Go home and yeah. t- switch off. Yeah. Yeah, no chance. The makers of Gillette Blades uh, were very pleased to know that Nick is still using yes. some splicing um, skills. A lot. I saw you slicing a 24-track. I mean, that because that's the thing that I learned first at, when I was at Tape 1. I was doing lots of edits. And in fact, in fact, one my job as a 18-year-old was... You remember those KTEL records? Yeah, of course. Yes. Yeah. You know, they, they would have... 20 songs on them that they had to fit 10 songs on each side oh, Jesus. which of course is impossible you no. can't have 20 songs on an Thank album goodness you didn't so it was my job as an 18 year old to to rearrange hit records to slice them up fit them in so what you i'd basically i get i i got very good at editing and i also i guess learned about song structure right yeah because all these songs were were hits you know and so this 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 knowledge is out in the public domain i take it you know we're we're not going to be uh revealing something with it 
That's the bastard. That's the bastard that shot my oh, single yeah. up. Oh, yeah, no. It's <laughs> yeah, make the middle eight a middle four. Take out the guitar yeah. solo. Well, what yeah. you do, the trick, I'll t- I can tell you, everybody remembers the intro of a song. Right. And they remember the first verse. Yes. The chorus, usually the sec- the first chorus and the second chorus are the same, more or less. Yeah. The second verse. So you could chop from the beginning of the first chorus to the beginning of the second chorus. And right there, that's a minute. Right. So suddenly your song's two and a half minutes long. So then you can fit, you know, 20. Who do we have? Who do we have to, to you know, to thank for all of this? You know, is it the excesses of yes? Ktel. You know, Ktel, yeah. Yes, I know. I mean, the wire, wire would never had this problem until their third album. You know, I mean, the Pink Flag was like twenty odd songs. That's one of the best records ever. But you know, you could be you could be a very gullible listener because I I I bought Lamb right when I, when I was a teenager and I took it home and I played it and it had a, a scratch on the, on the record somewhere. So this one track, which was about down in New York City or something. It jumped, but it jumped at the right point every time. So I thought, I'd, li- I'd never heard the track, and for about two months I thought, that's the way that track goes. The lyrics don't match up on the thing, but it, it jumps to the next one. Wow, that's really good. And it wasn't until I heard the proper version of it I realised, oh, so it's really that's called That's called a miracle. That's what yeah. that is. Yeah. That's a miracle. Yeah. My copy of Rolling Stone's Sticky Fingers didn't have a miracle on it. It just jumped at the wrong point, and I thought... <laughs> I thought, like, whatever it was called, Bitch or something, that song, that that just, like, well, that's weird. Charlie Watts is a weird drummer. Yeah. He just kind of keeps jumping beats around. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, my copy of Lamb was, like, the first sort of scratching record because it actually worked in time and it was in, you know, it was in with the beat, but it was wrong. People would think that's all it was fit for. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Scratching. Oh. <laughs> um, I like the way Motown always kind of jumped in on the chorus, you know. Two, three, four, stop, and then you know that kind of thing. Yeah, get the chorus in, yeah. and then play it, play it again. Do two. Yeah, I mean, it is it is interesting that whole whole thing about uh, you know song arrangements, and you know, obviously there is a general format, isn't there? Still, you sure. know, of of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, middle, chorus out, whatever. But it, yeah. it's it. I, I don't know. Anyway, all that editing, I just did a lot of editing before I before I recorded, ever recorded anything with microphones. I'd done a lot of editing. So to edit a multi-track, I, I wasn't scared at all. To me, it was like, and I was editing, I, I would sometimes edit, uh, I guess, laterally, horizontally. La- so like individual tracks and stuff. Yeah. Right. Wow. Because it's two inch, all you do is you get a ruler, you know, one of those metal rulers that's one inch, yeah, and you just put that on top. So you 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 match up your your kick drum point where you're editing. But if you want the drum fill before and the drums were on, say, tracks one to eleven, they were at the top. So instead of the edit just being a, it was like a sort of. So I, I did that. Oh wow. Oh, you've got to know where all your tracks. You got you. You want all the drums in one. Like you want them on the first like eight tracks, don't you? You know. I I did do that. I always put the bass on one and two because I learned that yeah. track one 
sometimes the lower the, the top end wasn't very good yeah so yeah. but if it was a bass guitar then there wasn't anything up there anyway kind of yeah but um kind of. yeah i mean all that technical stuff i it's it, i learned all the technical stuff before i even started which is probably why when when the right. flowers of romance that helped you a lot i would imagine yeah i just yeah. you know i kind of knew enough to right. you, you but you so you're all, you're like you kind of have been at the peak of your game for a long time you're at maybe the, the you're at a peak of your game now with like the most experience i'm interested i'm interested i think i just love it and i just i'm interested yeah. in what's going on you know and we're about we're similar ages we've yeah. got similar ref reference points and and as well as well as feeling cynical about everything i could easily i feel current somehow it's it feels the right time i feel like i've got more to give in, in many ways you do now. you do 100 yeah. so it's a good good feeling i was probably more relaxed about it too oh uh, yeah I, I mean i i definitely feel i don't feel a pressure to impress uh, well maybe maybe to impress but not i don't feel a pressure to keep working uh, but i just am i mean i i just worked with this band um from New York, this all-girl band called Come Girl 8. C-U-M Girl 8. 8 is infinity, the infinity sign. And right. they're amazing. They're absolutely amazing. I mean, people are, are, are saying they're a bit like the Slits. It, they're, they're very... Yeah. It's, it's, it, it grooves and uh, they're crazy on stage. I mean, like, really wild. I'm sure you'll hear, you'll hear them in the next... Uh, few months. You're going to have to send me a link, Nick. I, I have yeah, to, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll I'll send you the two songs I did. I did four songs. I've done an EP, but we just finished two, and they just got signed to 4AD. Nice, actually. Yes, it's full circle. I I heard just recently, probably for the first time, uh, the John Peel sessions that the Slits did before I joined them, and they I didn't realize that they'd already started really. I'd put recorded versions of what went on cut before. Um, and, and really good, really good session. You know, the, the, yeah. The, the peel sessions were always yeah. good. Um, yeah. No, it was just that they wanted something quite different. Um, and, pa and Palm Olive wanted to do something different. It's just, but it's interesting going back and hearing the power, you know, the, the, the just the energy that, that was going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I find like, you know, another record I did recently with um, uh, Amel and the Sniffers. Do you know them? Love Amel and the Sniffers. A Amel. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're... What's the lady's name? I, f I forget. Sir? Amy. Amy. Yeah. She's just who she is. You know, there's no, it's not made up. It's, it, and, and, but she, her energy and her attitude and her whole spirit is exactly like, 1978. If, if if it wasn't blonde hair and and it, she wasn't Australian, it would be it be Ariana, Ariap. Yeah, I mean it's it, it, it's a very similar thing, and yet she, you know, working with them, realised that she actually doesn't hadn't listened to that music from back there. She's not in she's not influenced particularly by that. I mean, she sounds to me. Right. There's a, yeah, but I guess because her voice is quite high and she's going, eh, it, it reminded me of, of polystyrene. 
you know and yeah but but i don't think she ever heard polystyrene she probably only heard it when people started saying oh she sounds like polystyrene and then she probably went and listened and gone oh i yeah, yeah. i can see that I listened to a track today where I think the backing track was out, so it's just her in front of the studio mic, a cappella. Yeah. And they're like the the, the rhythm and the it's like oh, yeah. like singing rap with her own She's a rapper. poetry approach. Yeah. She yeah. is a rapper. And in fact, during the mixing of that record, uh I got this message because I was it was during COVID, so I was in LA mixing right. it at my house and they were in Australia. And we, she kept on wanting certain things about the mix that she did explain, but also was struggling to explain. And then she suddenly sent me this text. She said, I've had an epiphany. And so I called her and she said, she says, she says I don't listen to rock and roll, eh? I don't listen to punk rock. I, li- I listen to hip hop. I'm a rapper. And I just thought, yes, you are. that's right, 100%. And it's like once that happened, it became so much easier because I just basically put loads of low end on the kick drum and right. made it made the low end all about the kick drum and not about the bass particularly. Like the bass was more like higher up. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. she told me, she says when she's singing or rapping, she's listening to mostly the kick drum. And that's what she's bouncing. Right. Because, you know, even though when you hear that record, it kind of sounds a little bit, I guess, like you know, ACDC and all the Sex Pistols, right? It's a kind of rock record. Yeah. It's mixed like a hip-hop record. It's like all the guitars are quite sort got, of... Got different ref- reference points. They're not thin, but they're not, like, huge. It's a strange thing, that that turnaround, of certainly the bass part of, and four on the floor bass drums. I mean, the, on the Slits album, there's, like, a, a mel- melodic high bass line, with a, uh, and there's also the lumbering low sort of heavy dub bass line and then you get like new order where hooky's doing like you know and severin and the banshees where they're playing melody top line melody almost on 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 a, on a bass guitar that's got like the strings all cranked up and yeah yeah You know, it, things change. Times they change because I I remember I, I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, a couple of years ago, right? And uh, I was there, and Mickey D, the first bass player in the Cure, me and Mike were in the cab together, and we had a couple of days there, so we we went to visit somebody for for lunch, and we're going across, you know, the Brooklyn Bridge or something, and a taxi driver, you know, or Uber or whatever it was, you know, it was a young guy, and he's playing all this hip-hop stuff and things on it and he looks at us for a few minutes and he goes you know where, where are you going why, why are you here you know and eventually he gets it out of us and we tell him and so then he dials in like the cure onto his you know system and he's listening to it he listens to a couple of songs and then he turns around to me and michael he goes that's guitars right because he didn't he couldn't you know he'd never heard that he was like that's guitars Right, that's guitars. Wow, you know. So I mean, you know, the world's different. You know. Yeah. Michael Michael Dempsey was the king of the uh, the twelfth fret. Yes. Yes. Ding a ding ding a ding a ding a ding a ding. Those associates records. Yeah, yeah. They're like, whoa. Yes. Yeah. He still plays that way. Um, I'm. I. I want you to go like your your high point, the next place you found yourself, probably with Kate Bush. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Well, that was. 
amazing. <laughs> I mean, that you know, it's I've done I've done quite a lot of interviews this year. I know. I I, I imagine you would have. Yeah. I, I, not many people that she worked with because she's you know once she built her own studio. Yeah. It's all in her cocooned world, which which is you know understandably that she wanted to do that. But um, but yeah, I got I got a call. I, I, I was in Jamaica in the jungle. I got a call from the BBC saying, you know, is this Nick uh, Nick Launay? Um, and you worked with Kate Bush. Can we interview you? And I said, yeah. And the, and 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 it was within fifteen minutes of that. And and I said, well. So when you edit this, they go, "Oh no, no, it's live." It was the craziest thing, but it was it was great because I just remembered that album, and it 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 really was like, I mean, I was twenty, I suppose, maybe twenty one, and she was like one year older. So it really was two kids, yeah, let loose because she was producing it, you know, and I was engineering it, wow. and it, it, that was it, you know. So, and obviously, she's so imaginative. She come in with these really crazy ideas of of the, uh, you know of, of a sonic landscape that she wanted, right. and I just did it, you know. And I, I had no understanding of limits and rules. No. We just did Which it. She she sounds like she was working in, in in a very visual way as well, giving you visual clues. Very visual, yeah. But we didn't have that restriction. We didn't have. It's funny when I do see a lot of YouTube videos and postings of ana analysis of drum beats or structures of songs, and and they it, all they seem to be concerned with is getting the beats in the right place. You know, is uh, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, dividing time or um, we didn't have the facility or the technique available. We just had ideas, and we thought, how the how the shit do I get my drums to sound like? A Zulu tribe, you yeah, know, yeah, like all rattle, rattling spears, yeah. you know. lots of toms. Yeah, we played for different things. I mean, you know, I never, I never played, you know, against a, a click track or anything like that. I would yeah. play to Robert's voice. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'd have him sing in the studio with me, and you know, two or three of us would put something down, and I'd play against his voice. And that's that's why those records are so good, right? You know, that is why those records are so good because you you are playing to the voice you know and right like a lot of the nick cave records well all the nick cave records that i did the grinder man and all that yeah. it's all done you know the vocals on those records are mostly like if if not all on some songs the take that was done at the time because everybody's playing to his vocal there's absolutely no clicks there's hardly right. even any tuning up <laughs> it's <laughs> not necessarily you know it's not in tune yeah. it's not in time and that's what gives it that human element but yeah even that the, the kate bush stuff wasn't done to a click you know? no not that i no it absolutely wasn't well there, there wouldn't there wouldn't have been at that time there wouldn't have been any any sort of it was down to us lol it was down to me and you yeah <laughs> yes exactly exactly the timekeepers I, pl I played with with my, Mickey D a little while back, and and halfway through we were playing, he just stopped and he went, "That's why I played the bass that way because of that kick drum." 
He said that the way you play the kick, he said, that's why I play like this and I've forgotten, you know, and you forget just like the, it's the, the joy of playing something together and it's not all yeah. lined up on the grid or whatever, you know, it's like, it's still beautiful, you know? Yeah. Well, this, you know, glad to say some bands are still doing it that way. Not many. Yeah. Not many. No, yeah. no, not many. I mean, Amal and the Sniffers is no clicks. And yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that, yeah, because they they sound pretty punk. Yeah, the other band I like from uh, Oz is uh, the Chats. I just looked them up. Yeah, because I always remember the song. They got "I'm having a smoko." Oh yeah, but I didn't know what it meant. It was a smoko. <laughs> a cigarette break, right? I'm having a smoko. Yeah, and it was yeah. so tr- like cigarette break. Right, felt so like I was whisked back to 1976 somewhere, you know. An eater. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember eater. They were all about three years old, right? They, they, it was like straight out of the factory. They were very funny. Like, right about what you're doing. Um, what, what's the big plans, Nick? Yeah. What's going on next? Um, I, you know, I, I, I got lucky, I suppose, or another thing happened where I ended up doing the score for Peaky Blinders. Uh, this, this last. That's amazing. With Anna Calvey. The last season, yeah. So, Anna. Anna did season five yeah. on her own. And then season six, yeah. the director wanted to make it, you know, the, it, season five is very much her and her guitar. It's quite simple in a, in a brilliant way. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Right. And but this one, he wanted more. Yes. And so she asked me to help her with it. And then because of COVID, thing, well, a lot of things happened during COVID. And one of the things is she had a baby, so she couldn't do it. She couldn't finish it right so uh or at least co- couldn't for a while yeah and so i i took over and ended up composing a lot with odd sounds and you know very david lynch style if you, if you listen to uh season six you'll see what i mean yeah so i ended up you know diving into that world like in the deep end just it was so it was just me and the director during covid you know him in england me in la yeah. And then I did some of it here in Sydney, some of it in Spain. I mean, it took five months yeah. to, to do all the music to that. And so now I'm being asked to do other um, films and TV, so I'm getting into that now. As Peaky Blinders, that's run, it, it ran its series, its course. Yes. I think so. I mean, they're going to make a movie. Yeah. A, a movie. I don't know who's directing it or... or I mean, I, I don't think... It's a different director, so I don't have... I mean, God knows, I might get a phone call. I would love to, but I, you know, it's those kind of things. It's a very different world. Yeah, there's so many people involved, and it's it's and so many companies. I mean, that Peaky Blinders is is the BBC and Endemol Shine, and which is you know they do all those big uh, reality shows, and so you, it's a, it's a whole different thing. It's very difficult to get into that world. Yeah, actually, yeah. and and again, I I was just you know because i basically was helping anna out to 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 make it work and um actually larry so larry toby damage toby damage larry yes larry he's the drama drummer on it and um uh john baggett do you know from from porter said he plays on it oh yes oh yeah 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 it's funny because uh, Toby was here last day because he was somewhere between here and uh, Oslo, I think, or somewhere like that. Anyway, but he was playing um, Berlin Babylon. Yeah, there's a big series here in, in, in Germany, in Berlin. 
And he was like the 1940s, 1930s, 40s uh, big band drummer. Yeah. And he was kind of like based around, so the opening titles were based around his little drum solo, right. which is kind of a pretty amazing. Because he has the kit from that period still, you know. Wow. The old slinger lens and stuff. Wow. And Anna's like, just we are, we were talking to Anna as we were doing our album as well and looking for Anna's him. great. Yeah. Love Anna. I crossed paths with her a lot in 2000, just before lockdown. I was on tour with John Grant and we, we hit the same festivals. And I was spellbound, you know, stood at the mixing desk with head, my old, old friend from back in the day, yeah. just going, wow. And I, I remember this one gig where she'd bust like the main string, which had thrown the whole guitar out for this long intro of the big closing song from Hunter, I think. Right. And uh, and she had to kind of keep it going and hold everything while the the one tech changed the one guitar. To, apparently came off and was furious because there, no, there were no more to be seen. You know, It was the most amazing thing. I, I, I knew what was going on, and she pulled it off. And I went back to sort of say, that was amazing. And all I found was a, like a destroyed dressing room. <laughs> Uh-oh. You know, up the stairs. And I knew what had happened i could see like shoes everywhere and bottles it was like yeah trashed and then i heard voices screaming voices coming down the stairwell and i'd never met so i just went like well that was fucking amazing you're amazing they went really where have you come from (laughs) like you maybe some other gig and um it's just like one of those moments where you get the chance to give somebody yeah. something that she probably needed that, right? Yeah, I, ho- I hope. I hope. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, you well, you you are my my secret weapon, our secret weapon. You know, you make everybody <laughs> smile, buddy. Yeah, in a good way. But, and I, I think yeah. when you're up on stage, obviously, it's a very different experience to being in the audience. Mm. Sure. I mean, very often, I I I go backstage all the time. You know, see bands I've worked with, and then they're very often the best gigs they're all kind of very hum-ho about it yeah and then you know sometimes it might sound really good on stage and doesn't sound so good we know (laughs) but anna anna is amazing in that she's so yeah she's so quiet yeah and so shy actually yeah in person and then she's up on stage and she's she roars you know with the cure i could guarantee you know if i we played and we had a great gig and you know i could think oh yeah that was a really great gig i could guarantee robert thought it was terrible <laughs> right and then uh, we would come off sometimes and and i'd think oh that was shit wasn't it he was going that was the greatest gig we've ever done you know so people's perspective changes you know i think this is the dd this is the drummer's dilemma lol you know yeah yeah we could well be in a different band most nights. You know? <laughs> Don't you often have different things in your, in your, you know, fold back, feedback, fold back? Yeah, you don't have you don't have anything in there. That's why it sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> you just have yourself. I sound great. I know it was yes. a great. I sound yes. great. I couldn't hear myself. Neither could I. <laughs> about about um, two thousand eleven, I came down to Australia because we we decided. I persuaded Robert, like, let's go out and play the old albums. And, and he said, yeah, okay. So we went down and we were going to play them in uh, the Opera House, you know. And it's the first time 
that I had actually used in-ears because I hadn't been on the road for a long time, you know, and I hadn't used in-ears. So I went and got some in-ears and just before we're going on stage for the second night, I turned to Simon and I said, Simon, I, I heard your, all of your bass last night, everything that you were playing. And, and he turned around to me and he went, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said, no, it was really good. It was really good. It was great. I could actually play, you know, with you as opposed to not hear what you're doing, you know, just watching what you're doing, you know? So My story like that would be um, from Nomis Studios in uh, West London. I remember that place. And uh, we, used to share, we used to share a crew with Motorhead. So when Motorhead were recording, we'd go out with the rig yeah. and the lights and the sound system and vice versa. But there were occasions when we'd both been in the same rehearsal complex. Yeah. And we'd both been uh, acquired these uh, radio packs for the instruments. So, But we found ourselves, Lemmy was on the same frequency. And, and the, the noise that was coming into our room from his rig, and it was just... Twang! It was <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I was just—I I know why me and Filthy Animal, Phil Taylor, we uh, right, we, we we used to bond. I think we were like uh, these two, you know, this blonde-haired, skinny bloke and this big kind of sort of looks like a Mexican gunslinger, but both with dance dance yeah. tights on. We both had like ballet tights because that's all. We, otherwise, we were too wet. I, I, I remember seeing him play like motorhead play the reading festival 1979 and we we owe we were like on the festival bill you know and we were like you know petrified of everything you know and we we got there and i went out and watched motorhead play and i was in total awe that he could play like double kick drums with those boots like those huge leather boots that came all the way up to his knees i was like how the hell can he do that you know, it's just like it was impossible. So legend, he was great, but they were lovely to us actually. Motorhead were the, the nicest people to us as a band. The young band, they were lovely. They were le- their crew was legendary as well. Yeah, they tried to destroy us. Just tried to, you know, it was just yeah. But we survived somehow. I'm so glad we survived. I'm, I'm so glad we've had this conversation. It's amazing we're alive. It is really when we think about it. It's pretty. Well, I, I guess I was slightly more sheltered inside. I was kept inside all these years. So uh, it's all it's hats off to Lemmy and uh, Phil Collins, and uh, the, the cast is endless, right? Yes, Nick, you've had a charmed a charmed life so far. It, oh yeah, that's great. So far, so good. Yeah, I'm not I'm not done yet. Actually, I'll tell you the thing I'm most excited about. Yes, that's coming out is actually a song, an Iggy Pop song I did with Anna. It's an Anna Calvi. Anna Calvi. Oh, good. Uh, apparent, well, while we're mixing the Hunter album, you know, obviously I'm very busy, you know, busy, and she's in in the back of the studio, you know, writing lyrics and stuff. And then um, she said, "You know, do you know Iggy Pop?" And I said, "Well, I, I know him, like not that close with him, but I, I, you know, every time he comes here, I go backstage and say hi." No. Um, but anyway, she told me this story that she played Glastonbury, I think it was, and she looked to the side of the stage while she was playing it. Iggy was there, and he stayed for the whole of her set, and he's just, you know, holding on to something, and, you know, you know that how he does. Yeah. And um, and then when she walked off stage, she had to walk past him, and she was really very starstruck and, and a bit nervous about walking past him, and, and he said, you know, he said, "Hey, I really like your music," and and she's like, "Oh, I I really like your music." And then he said, um, "He said, yeah, like maybe we should do something." 
you know and uh so she out of nervousness said a song we should do a song and he he said like uh yeah but i you know i i i need help with writing songs i don't write my own songs i always write with people so she said oh I'll, i'll write you a song and he said that'd be great and off he went you know to do his warm up that he does before because he was on next you know and she said well i've just finished the song and I said, so you've have you written a song i said well ha- when when did this happen she said this was like 2 years ago so anyway we demoed it uh, well recorded it sent it to him yeah. he loved it and he ended up sing singing on it so there is a song that is going to come out in the next uh, probably 6 months from now wow and it's so good it is one of the best things i i've ever been involved in it's 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 iggy pop doing right. what you want iggy pop to be doing and the song is such a good song i mean anna's just such a great songwriter and she sings on it too you know it's it's not a duet but they sing together yeah and it's very glam it's it's glam It's a good beat. You heard it here first. We 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 got the uh, the lowdown. Yes. I want to hear it here first. So So I'm very that's probably the next thing that's going to come out that, I, that that's in in the pipeline okay. to be released. I, we actually finished it quite a long time ago, but then COVID happened and you know, well, COVID happened, didn't it? That's what happened. COVID happened. I know, I know, I know. Well, yeah. Nick, it's been lovely, lovely meeting you for the probably for the tenth time, but for the first time properly. Yes, exactly. It's been lovely. It's been great chatting with you both. I'm glad we did this from three corners of the planet Earth. We're pretty international, me and Mr. B. Happy New Year. See you in 23. Curious Creatures is created and presented by Lol Tolhurst and Budgie. Producer Joe Wong. Producer and audio designer Dan Didier. Executive producer Mark Cates. Associate producer Sophie Wilde. Digital marketing Margie Taylor. Art and logo design Justin Thomas K. Music production Jack Knife Lee. Curious Creatures is on the web and you can access us at www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com and you can reach us on Instagram and Facebook at Curious Creatures Official Twitter at Cure Creatures To find more of the best music podcasts visit doubleelvis.com or follow at doubleelvis on Instagram or at doubleelvis on Twitter Curious Creatures is a production of LXB LLC 2022